This week's sponsor is absolutely perfect for true crime fans, especially those of us that love a twisty, turny murder mystery. June's Journey is a game set in the Roaring Twenties. June's sister Claire and her husband Harry were found dead, and June is certain that they've been murdered. Now she must travel to New York, where her sister's estate was, to look after her niece and solve the mystery of Claire's death. You go along the journey with June, searching for hidden objects in different locations from the parlors of New York to the sidewalks of Paris, uncovering hidden clues to solve the mystery as you go. I'm already on chapter six and the mystery has gotten so good. I cannot wait to uncover more clues. I'm also loving how you get to customize your very own luxurious estate island. That's right. Let your imagination run wild as you decorate your island with expansive gardens and beautiful buildings. My pool is literally insane. It has a waterfall. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free on iOS and Android. Guess who's back this week, Mogav? Us. We freaking are. Us, you and me, we're back. And so is Nancy Grace. (gasps) Nancy, where have you been? She makes a few appearances in this episode. This makes me think it's a big one. You want to hear my favorite Nancy quote from this case? Yes. Very rarely does anyone commit suicide naked. If you find a dead body naked, oh no, start running the lab tests. Nancy. Thank you. Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers. Where we talk about all the real life creeps. What are you doing? <laughs> I don't know. I'm trying to remember the lines. Welcome to another episode of True Crime Creepers, where we talk about all the real life creeps from serial killers to con artists. I'm Kristen, the true crime fanatic who loves to tell these stories. And I'm Mogab, the true crime newbie <laughs> who hasn't heard any of them. It's not as easy as it looks, is it? I know we already released an episode last week. That was our first episode of the new year. But this is our first episode we are actually recording in the new year. Yeah. Feels good to have all my equipment back. Yes. Back in the location. We're not going to have the audio issues that we had last week. (laughs) I know. God, we're a disaster. Should we tell the people what we went through for that episode to even happen? I mean, multiple laptop. First of all. I'm not even going to tweet Dell again because we know what happened the first time, but how are we making laptops without USB ports? That's my first question. First, Dell put the camera at the bottom. And now she They're gets a new out one. USB ports. And it's got no USB port in it. What is this disaster of a life that we're living? Why yeah, are we getting I mean, rid of USB ports? At Dell. We, we use USB mics, so that couldn't happen. Then we had to get out my old laptop. That wasn't working. It worked for the mini creep. But not for the and that episode. Was it. And then it was midnight, and we needed to try again the next day. And we didn't have a great mic, so. <gasps> Wait. We That's just what happened got, with that episode last week. We just got an Instagram comment. This is what I love. To the peeps and creeps that are just now, like, going back in the archives and starting with <laughs> us from the beginning. Oh, no. I didn't <laughs> think the flow chart could be quite that bad. That is what I needed. <laughs> this is from literally, what's the date on this? January 7th, 2021. One year ago, almost exactly today. Was the the first emergence of the flowchart. Yep. And it is that bad. And it's amazing. 
It is. I still wait. This is the original flowchart. I was thinking of the one that had like the glitter gel pen. This is like the OG. All right. All right. Organizing drunk squirrels. (laughs) Is that what you feel like sometimes? (laughs) That's what I always feel like. (laughs) (laughs) With me. I feel like I'm organizing a bunch of drunk squirrels. I call them hurting kittens, but. (laughs) (laughs) But what it really be like, though. (laughs) Organizing drunk squirrels in a Mexican restaurant. Oh, Rocco. Rocco. (laughs) Oh, God, I've had a pet squirrel named Rocco that got lost. In Casa, <laughs> in Casa Ole. Ole. <laughs> we told that story at some point. Mm, yeah. A ways away ago. <laughs> hey, are you still going to call me MoGab when I'm not? You know I'm going to call you MoGab. We've Mo-Gab. had that deal forever. Hey, why aren't you going to be MoGab anymore, MoGab? Oh, because you know I'm engaged. I'm engaged. Ah! Is it okay so for me excited. to say I'm engaged, we're engaged? Well, not you and I. Oh, God. It's not <laughs> you like a weird I- pregnant thing, right? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know that. I, that does weird me out. I don't like it. Yeah. I'm going to get married. Uh, if you would like to hear MoGab's super sweet engagement story, we just dropped that on our Patreon. Yeah. We go also sign have. Up. Yeah, go sign up. So go listen to MoGab's engagement story. We also, I discovered in the episode before that, that I am a Leo rising, something that does not shock me at all. <laughs> And also on our Patreon, we've got four bonus episodes now. We're about to drop another bonus episode in January. Yes. Like next week, I think we'll be we'll be dropping the January bonus episode. And we also got some true crime mini creeps, like an episode on the McDonald's hot coffee case mm-hmm. and an episode all about crimes at the Waffle House. So oh, the Waffle House. If you want to hear some more from us, if you want that bonus content in your life, Go to patreon.com slash truecrimecreepers, or there's a link in the show notes to support the show and get access to all those bonus perks. And I just dropped some Patreon mail in the mail. Some cards, some Patreon cards in the mail. So coming to you. That's exciting. Coming to you live. You do get a card at the $7 level. Yeah, with a sticker in it. Life doesn't happen biweekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. EarnIn is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 a day or $750 per pay period. Just download the EarnIn app and verify your paycheck, and then access your money as you earn it instead of having to wait for it to hit your account. Any money you access, including any optional tips, are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. It is a much-needed alternative to predatory payday lenders for people that find themselves in a bind, like a bill due Wednesday when payday isn't until Friday. Or you're like me and you're just getting slammed with birthdays. Why are all my friends Tauruses? With Earn In, I don't have to worry about being late with a gift because I had to wait for payday. Download Earn In today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in Creepers under podcast when you sign up. It'll really help the show. Creepers under podcast. Subject to your available earnings, location, daily max, and pay period max. See earnin.com slash TOS for details. Earnin is a financial technology company, not a bank. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. All right. Good to be back. Ready to be back. Ready to get into this story? Yeah. Mm, mm, mm. All right. Quick disclaimer before we get started. The dates and ages in this case, they're all over the place. 
literally every single source said certain things happened in different years or people were different ages. So I basically just picked what made the most sense mathematically and carried on living my life. Okay. It's August 22nd, 2005, a Monday. You and I are... What, going through sorority recruitment? Oh, I was going to say, yep. Watching girls piled in door frames, doing complicated chants. Come right in. Join the fun. <laughs> the party's just begun. You know that we would like to meet you one by one. <laughs> so we were doing that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> in Syracuse, New York, Stacy Castor was at work where she was the office manager of Liverpool Heating and Air Conditioning, which was the business that her husband, David Castor, owned. Only David hadn't come into work that day, and she didn't know if he was okay or not. She'd called him several times, but he never picked up. They not live together? They do live together. So finally, around two that afternoon, she called 911 to tell them that she actually hadn't seen David since, like, Friday. They'd gotten into a big argument, so big that she said David had told her to take her kids and leave, and then said if she left, he would make her sorry. Her kids or their kids? Hers. Okay. Just hers. And she works at his business, and they live together. Okay. Yep. But she hadn't seen him since Friday. And this is Monday. And this is Monday. So Stacey said after this big fight they'd gotten into on Friday – He'd locked himself in their bedroom, and he hadn't come out since or answered his cell phone when she'd tried to call. Wait, he, like, made himself barricaded in the bedroom? Yep. Okay. That's right. That's right. Over the weekend, Stacy said she'd, like, checked by the door to make sure she could still hear him breathing, and she said she could, so she thought he was okay. She'd spent the night before at a friend's house thinking that she'd see David at work the next day and they could talk out the issues that they were having. But now that he hadn't shown up to work, she was worried. She told police that her husband had struggled with depression. When officers from the sheriff's department arrived at the house, Stacy was outside waiting for them. She seemed really upset, and she told them that her husband had a shotgun under the bed, and she was so worried that he completed suicide. Sergeant Robert Willoughby went to the bedroom door, which was locked, so he knocked, calling out for David, And he could hear the TV on in the room, but no response from David. He banged on the door a few more times, and when he still didn't get a response, he went around the house to the window to, like, see if he could peek inside, but he couldn't get a good view. Finally, he went back inside and just kicked the bedroom door open to get in. And the first thing he saw after the door gave way was David Castor lying naked across the bed, face down, and clearly dead. When police came out to tell Stacy that David was dead, she was distraught. She burst out crying. She was really struggling with her emotions. She just kept screaming, he's not dead. He's not dead. She told them that he'd been depressed, that he'd been under a lot of stress because of his business. And on top of that, his father had recently died, causing his emotions to spiral even further. She was certain that he had completed suicide, but that obviously wouldn't make the loss any easier to take. Stacy had told police that she was concerned about that shotgun under David's bed, but there were no gunshot wounds on his body, so police start looking around for evidence of what might have killed him. On the nightstand next to the bed, they found a bottle of apricot brandy, a bottle of cranberry juice, 
and a couple of glasses, one of which was half full of a bright green liquid. Lying on the floor next to the bed was a container of antifreeze. Oh, I at least thought like Mountain Dew. (laughs) No, not that bright green liquid. Ew, what? It seemed police had their answer. Suicide seemed very plausible, and this was how he'd done it, with antifreeze. The police continued their search of the rest of the house, collecting evidence which was mostly contained to the glasses and bottles in the bedroom. The only other thing of note they really found in the house was in the garbage can in the kitchen. There was a turkey baster, like, kind of on top of the garbage. It looked brand new, but there were a few droplets of liquid inside, and it smelled like alcohol. (sighs) An autopsy was conducted by the medical examiner, who found clear signs confirming David Castor had died of ethanol glycol toxicity, or antifreeze poisoning. Antifreeze is like for cars, like the stuff that goes in cars. Like Yes. People are drinking that. Yeah, no, you shouldn't drink it. Why? Well, it will kill you. It's poison. <laughs> yeah, don't drink it. Right, but like, Ew. Yeah. And based on what the medical examiner had found in the report, his conclusion was that it had been self-administered, a suicide. It seemed like a pretty open and shut case, but there were still too many questions for police to feel comfortable just totally closing it. So they decided to look further into David and Stacy Castor. Oh, which is why we're here. All right. So David and Stacy met through Stacy's boss back in 2001. And when they met, Stacy felt like she had just met her Prince Charming. Her first husband had been a bit of a partier, and she liked that David seemed more stable and responsible. He didn't drink. He owned his own business. He loved the outdoors. He'd buy her dresses and take her out to fancy dinners. They were together for two years before they got married on August 16th, 2003, when Stacy was 36 and David was 46. It was the second marriage for both of them. They didn't have any kids together, but both had kids from previous marriages. David had a grown son, David Jr., and Stacy had two daughters, Ashley and Bree, who were around 15 and 12 at the time. Ashley is older. Okay. Ashley and Bree really weren't happy with their mom's new relationship because as much as David doted on Stacy, he did not seem overly interested in being a father to Ashley and Bree. He didn't want any more kids, and according to this Medium article I read, He really resented having to share his life with two young girls. He would call Ashley selfish and disrespectful, and Ashley said that he didn't want to be their father, but that he'd act in ways like he was trying to be. From the comments made by Ashley, Bree, and Stacy, it seemed like even though David didn't want this father-daughter relationship with the girls, he still expected them to just do whatever he said, which led to a pretty hostile relationship. Oh, yeah. But Stacy said the relationship between her and David was great, so who cares, right? I mean, I could see where you would you would maybe get swept up in that. Yeah. I just also think too, like teenage girls can often it not just girls, teenagers in general, when they're not happy with something their parents do, I think it gets dismissed a lot as like they're just being teenagers. Oh, a hundred percent. Yeah. You know. And I I think that leads to all the angst yeah. <laughs> of not feeling heard. I was never believed. <laughs> you feel like you're grown up right. and everybody is treating you like a child. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a tough time. So August of 2005 marked Stacey and David's two-year anniversary. 
And last minute, David decided that he wanted to take Stacy on a big trip to celebrate their anniversary. What he did not want was for the girls to come on the trip with them, which I understand adults can take adult trips. But at this point, Ashley's like 17 and Bree is like 14 or 15. Yeah, you're not leaving them at home, though, unsupervised. Right. She didn't want them, especially Bree, to stay home alone at the house. This led to a pretty bad argument. Stacy said it lasted like seven hours, and she'd never seen David so angry. She said he grabbed a bottle of Southern Comfort, locked himself in the bedroom, got drunk, and wouldn't come out. There's so many better options than I SoCo. Agreed. <laughs> and well, she said Southern Comfort, but then... They found apricot brandy in the bedroom. So this argument happened on a Friday, but it's a little unclear to me if that was the night he locked the door or if it wasn't until Sunday when he actually locked Stacy out of the bedroom. There was a lot of discrepancies in like every article I read. But either way, the night of the argument, Stacy sent Ashley and Brie away to a friend's house and Stacy slept on the couch. And then throughout the weekend, she just tried to get out of the house as much as possible because the vibes were weird. Yeah. Her friend even offered to let her come over and stay at her house. And Sunday night, Stacy finally did. She went over and stayed at her friend's house Sunday night. She was pretty annoyed that he'd locked her out of the bedroom, but she told her friends that she could still hear him snoring. He was a really loud snorer. So she just thought he was sleeping it all off. In reality, he was slowly dying from a lethal dose of antifreeze. Which is really sad. It's just funny. It makes me think of our our boy, Michael Malloy, who was eating actual shrapnel <laughs> and probably could have drank a gallon of antifreeze. I'm like, how are humans built so differently? I That's a good point because he was <laughs> like literally chugging wood alcohol, which actually I just saw the movie Nightmare Alley, the new movie with Bradley Cooper. And uh, wood alcohol came up in that movie. And I was like, I know what that is. My man was eating metal sandwiches. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know. That's it's true. Just, it's crazy. They don't build them like they used to. That was like in the 20s, right? 20s, yeah. Now like we're like 30s. soft as yeah. hell. We can't drink antifreeze now. Can't even handle our antifreeze. <laughs> what was that line in Chicago? You know I don't know that. I guess some people just can't handle their arsenic. (laughs) Yikes. But people that knew David, especially his family, they all thought that suicide made absolutely no sense. They all said that David had never shown any signs of being suicidal that any of them had seen. And his first wife, Janice, even called the police to tell them there's no way he would have completed suicide. And someone else that was not convinced was Detective Dominic Spinelli. Oh. I know that sounds like a made-up detective name, like hardcore from New York. He was actually a transplant from the Bronx to Syracuse. And his, he's not made up. Dominic Spinelli. Oh, love that. I know. He'd gotten the phone records back on Stacy, And the day David died, guess how many times she tried to call him before she called 911? Zero. Once. She'd called him one time. So she's so worried about him that she ends up calling 911 to do like a welfare check. She's that worried, but she's only called him one time. And Spinelli kept flashing back to this routine interview he'd had with Stacy, like just after David's body had been found. He'd asked her why she thought that David had gone with antifreeze. And Stacy said that they had watched a documentary on Julia Lynn Turner 
who was a woman in Georgia that was convicted of killing her husband and boyfriend with antifreeze. Wait, what? And then she says that. Yeah, she's like, he probably just got that idea from the documentary. Is that where you got the idea, girl? (laughs) (laughs) And that's kind of what Spinelli was thinking. He was thinking this all seemed really weird. He really didn't like the suicide theory, and he just couldn't let this go. Too many things just didn't seem right. For one thing, poisoning is a very rare form of suicide. And I actually looked into some of these statistics because yeah, I was interested. that seems miserable interested. because yeah. your body tries – you try and get sick. Like It's tied with throwing yourself under a moving car as the least frequent method of suicide. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the neither least one of frequent. Those. Yeah, and also men – like a woman is far more likely to use poison as a method than a is man. Is overdosing men- separate than poisoning, I'm assuming? Yes, yes. Okay. Yeah, that like, would I be feel different. like that happens. Yeah. Also, men tend to go for more violent methods of suicide, like using a gun or hanging themselves. David had a gun available to him. That, like mm-hmm. how Stacy kept saying he had a shotgun under his bed, he did. It was there. And it would have been astronomically more likely, statistically speaking, that if he were to want to complete suicide, that he would have gone for the gun over poisoning himself. Mm-hmm. And the whole pouring the antifreeze out into the glass and then possibly then into a turkey baster is weird. Like, if he was going to poison himself, wouldn't he have just drank it straight from the container? Is he like... Or, yeah. Was he... I was confused by the other alcohol. Was he trying to, like, make a little little cocktail, cocktail? to, like, yeah. mask it? I don't know. Yeah. Pro- that probably. But going back to those other items on the bedside table... They seem more feminine. Like, it just would have made more sense for Stacy to be making an apricot brandy cocktail with diet cranberry juice than for that to be David's drink of choice. Oh, it was diet cranberry juice? Mm. It was diet cranberry. And no shades of the men out there that want to drink apricot brandy with diet cran. Like, no, cocktails m- have no gender. Listen, Unless my, you- <laughs> my guy friends love them. Some umbrella fruity drinks. <laughs> No shame. I mean, they're out there ordering the Mai Tais, like, at the pool. (laughs) Fantastic. But when you're looking at a murder scene and you have to draw a conclusion of which person in the house would have been most likely to have that particular drink, you're leaning Stacy, you know? Yeah, I mean. But the thing from the crime scene that jumped out to Spinelli the most was the turkey baster that he'd found in the trash. Yeah, I need some additional details there. Yeah, there had been antifreeze in the turkey baster. David's DNA was on the tip of the turkey baster. (gasps) And there were no fingerprints on it. She like, while he was sleeping, she basted it in his little mouth, in his little snoring pie hole while he was passed out. (laughs) Did you just call it a snoring pie hole? (laughs) I I did. I'm so sorry. I just think sometimes Russell's snoring at night. I'm like, close your little pie hole, you know? And I just, ugh. Don't have antifreeze or a turkey baster lying around 20 years from now when you're not enough time. But why, why, I'm jumping to conclusions, but why are we leaving cameras and washers and turkey basters on the top (laughs) layer of the trash? Mm -hmm. I mean, you guys are asking. To be apprehended by the law. 
yeah. which is fine by me. <laughs> but I just don't understand. They want to make the podcast episode more interesting. You want to make it more interesting? Throw the camera in the washing machine with all yeah. the pictures of the crime on it. That's great. Put the turkey baster. First of all, use a turkey baster so that I get to talk about a turkey baster. Yeah. In a murder. I just, I'm shocked because like I, I, Russell leaves the house and I want to sneak a secret cheeseburger with no judgment. And I'm taking that wrapper. And if I'm not walking down the street to another trash can to throw it out, I'm at least burying it burying in the it. outside garbage in the garage. I'm not leaving it on the top layer. So he's like, put it in another bag in the trash can that's already in there. You just stuff it in there. Yeah. I mean, I've gone as far as like putting a Starbucks cup inside of another cup to throw that in the trash. It doesn't (laughs) look like I went to Starbucks five times in one week. (laughs) And you can't put a turkey baster in the bottom of the trash? Or at least like put a napkin on top of it. I mean, do the bare minimum here, Stacey. Rinse it out. Just kidding. This was a suicide, obviously. Okay, so Spinelli's trying to figure out this turkey baster, and he's thinking, all right, antifreeze has a really sweet taste, and it's really easily disguised in a drink. Who knew that? Like, who's tried it and lived to talk about how sweet it is, you know? Well, I'm sure people have lived from drinking antifreeze, like, if you just take a little bit. If he poisoned himself, then he, what, walked to the trash to throw the baster away? And why have the baster if you have a cup on the nightstand? Right. These are all excellent questions you're asking. <laughs> I'm getting so Detective good at this. Mogab. <laughs> Listen, people are very concerned that I'm not going to be the newbie anymore. And I'm like, <laughs> no, I always am going to be. That's my yeah. goal here. I'm not trying to <laughs> learn more. You might be asking the right questions, but you've still <laughs> never heard of Jeffrey Dahmer. So here we yeah. are. Okay. <laughs> you don't know who that is. So you don't even know that if that's funny. Yeah, sorry. (laughs) So antifreeze has a sweet taste. It's easily disguised in a drink, but it is not easily disguised in an autopsy. So no one listening out there get any bright ideas. You will be caught if you try to poison someone with antifreeze. It is certain. It's also just like really mean. So don't do it. Yeah, also don't murder people, you guys. It's like really mean. Let's just all stop. All of us. That sounds like a great plan in 2022. I'd love that. All right. We keep trying. (laughs) I know. I keep putting it out there in the ether. So the antifreeze is not easily disguised because ingesting a lethal amount of antifreeze will cause crystals to deposit in your major organs. And one by one, those organs will begin to shut down until you die. But those crystals never go away. Not after you die. Not after you've been buried. Never. If an autopsy can be performed, they will find those crystals in your organs. Ew. Antifreeze poisoning is a slow, agonizing way to die. And being in the heating and cooling business, David would have known that. It really seems unlikely that's the way he would have chosen to go. Forensics on that glass with the green liquid came back. And as expected, it was antifreeze in the glass. That was no surprise. Spinelli thought it was interesting that the only fingerprints found on the glass were th- Stacy were three prints that were all along the bottom of the glass. Mm. Can't drink as if it you're like holding that. it with the bottom of the glass facing your palm, as opposed to holding it with your palm on the side of the glass and your fingers wrapped around. 
there could be multiple explanations for the placement of the fingerprints. Like maybe the glass was in the dishwasher upside down and someone grabbed it out of the dishwasher from the bottom. Yeah. But another explanation is that someone was holding the glass up to David's mouth and tipped the liquid in. Well, you wouldn't drink out of a glass yourself like that. You know, like if you went to pick up a cup. Correct. No, you wouldn't. You would not. But you could be, you would do that to tip it into someone else's mouth. All three fingerprints came back as a match to Stacy Castor. Stacy, you are really dumb. <laughs> there were also no fingerprints at all found on the container of antifreeze that had been on the floor in the bedroom. If David had poured the poison into that glass, his fingerprints should have at least been on the container. Yeah. All of this evidence showed that further investigation was needed before classifying David's death as a suicide, obviously. It was the turkey baster that really got the district attorney, William Fitzpatrick. He said he'd never heard of suicide by turkey baster. And the idea that David Castor would torture himself slowly with antifreeze using a turkey baster one drop at a time was ludicrous. The more likely scenario was that Stacy used the turkey baster to force feed him antifreeze once he'd become too physically weak to fight her off. Oh, my goodness. Why? Why is this happening? Well, so why do they always do it, Mugab? I know, but a tur- I, I don't know. <laughs> I just don't have enough information on their life. So detectives start focusing their investigation on Stacy. And one of the first things they did was look at David's life insurance policy, which oh. left everything to Stacy and her two daughters and nothing to David's son, David Jr. I didn't know there was a David Jr., Yeah, he had one grown adult son, David Jr. David Sr. had campers, motorcycles, jet skis, snowmobiles. And David Jr. said it was impossible that he wouldn't have left anything to him. He thinks Stacy forged the will, signing over all those toys to herself, along with about $50,000, which she almost immediately blew through doing renovations on the house, just completely erasing David from her life. She even sold his company and everything else in his estate almost right after he died. Forging wills seems too easy to me. Like when you initially set up a will and get that like notarized and whatever, you have to be there in person, correct? Like the initial when you do a will, I think you have to have a witness and a lawyer. So then are people just taking the document and changing it? Like it just seems No, you have to still have witnesses. I'll tell you how she did it later. We'll get there. Detectives really wanted to talk to people that had known Stacy, and the person at the top of their list was her first husband, Mike Wallace. They tried to track him down, and they quickly found him buried in the (gasps) same cemetery as David. I... He was dead. Mm. Not only was he buried in the same cemetery as David, Mike Wallace was buried right next to David. Oh, stop it. That is weird. (laughs) But wait, there was a plot for Stacy there right in, in the middle. Right Shut in the middle. Shut up. <laughs> no. keep, David, I'm not even kidding. I don't Mike's- want that in my worst nightmares. <laughs> Mike's gravestone had his name on the right side and Stacy's was already engraved on the left side with like a place to add her the date when she dies, you know? And then just to the left of Stacy was David's grave. Oh, my God. The placement alone was weird, but it was also weird for detectives to realize that both of Stacy's husbands were dead. 
So now they start looking into Mike Wallace's death. Stacy and Mike met in 1985 when Stacy was just 17 years old and Mike was like six years older. Stacy said, which means, okay, I don't want to blow past that. That means he's like 23 and she's 17. Stacy said five minutes after meeting Mike, she knew she was going to marry him. He was described as kind of a wild guy that loved partying and drinking and having a good time. Well, he's 23, so. So he's, yeah, he's described as your average 23-year-old. His frontal lobe is not even developed. Right. Yeah. Your average 23-year-old with an undeveloped frontal lobe. Yeah. Cool. They dated for three years, just enough time for that lobe to develop, before marrying in 1988. They had their first daughter, Ashley, that same year, and Stacy said that Mike was a really gregarious guy, always the life of the party, but that meant that drugs and alcohol were a heavy presence in his life. She said that he had a problem with both for a really long time. He even went to prison for a short time on DUI charges, and he seemed to settle down after he got out. Stacy said that having Ashley was life-changing for her. She says that from that moment on, her whole reason for being here was to take care of Ashley. Others say that Stacy didn't have a maternal bone in her body and that she didn't even seem to like children. I'm like, what is Ashley? Yeah, not even think? her own. Yeah, that, I want to know <laughs> what they think. Because mm-hmm. let me tell you, mamas sometimes have a skewed <laughs> perception yeah. of what's, what's going on. Oh, mothers and daughters. In 1991, their second daughter was born, Brie, and though Mike loved both of his kids, he seemed to connect more with Brie than with Ashley. He'd call her nicknames like Princess and Daddy's Little Angel. One of Stacy's oldest friends said that Brie could do no wrong in Mike's eyes and that there was no talk of any relationship between Ashley and Mike. Oh, that's definitely not going to mess them up. Ashley said they had a great relationship and that he'd even like go on Girl Scout trips with her and her troop. But Stacy said that Ashley and Mike just never really connected. And this lack of connection was really hurtful to Ashley. So she decided to make it up to her by spending more time with Ashley. Others reported that she had Ashley as her favorite more to compete with Mike rather than for Ashley's benefit. Either way, they became best friends, which, as you know, can be a bit of a red flag. (laughs) Yes, <laughs> I do. Mike was working nights as a mechanic and Stacy was working days as an ambulance dispatcher. So there was very little time for them to spend together as a family. And I also have never heard of a night mechanic. Is that a thing? I guess like emergency maintenance, you know? That's I mean, a thing? Emergency well, I mean, like car maintenance? Pa- oh, car. I don't He's know. Yeah, like roadside assistance, like AAA. Oh. You know, like they come okay. out. Okay, Yeah. I just think of those as like emergency tow truck drivers. Maybe. After 10 years of marriage, Stacy felt like they were just going through the motions and she thought that Mike was having an affair. She told friends that she was contemplating divorce and that they'd started having discussions about divorce. She even went to her friend Kim in 1999, telling her that she wanted to leave Mike and asking her for advice on what she could do. Kim gave Stacy her attorney's information and told her to call him. But it was right before the holidays, and Stacy didn't want to ruin everyone's Christmas, so she decided to wait until after the holidays. But that December, which was 1999, Mike got really sick. He started staggering around, he didn't feel well, and he looked worse. 
He spent a lot of time in bed, and soon he had a hard time walking or talking. Ashley said one time he just sat up straight up and vomited across the room and then just laid back down as if nothing had ever happened. Oh, my God. I'm, like, so freaked out. This continued off and on for six weeks. What? Yeah. He went to the doctor early on at the insistence of his family after they saw him at a holiday function and they could tell he didn't look right. The doctor said that since he wasn't sick constantly and it seemed to come in sporadic waves, he thought he might have an inner ear disorder. But then on January 11th, 2000, he took a turn for the worse. That day, Ashley got home from school. She's 11 at this time. She called her mom to tell her that she was home, and she saw Mike lying on the couch, making what she thought was funny faces. She said she saw his arm shoot straight up in the air and then fall <gasps> like back a down. seizure or something, right? Her, yeah, something. She called her mom to tell her that Mike was acting strange, but then she had to leave shortly after to go pick up Bree from school. But Mike was dying on that couch. Stacy came home to find Mike unconscious, and she called for an ambulance. First responders were able to get his pulse back, but they lost it soon after. Before making it to the hospital, he had already been declared dead. <sighs> Doctors told Stacy that he died of a heart attack, and they didn't see anything suspicious about the death, but he was 38 years old. He'd always been very healthy, other than the mysterious and undiagnosed medical issues he'd been having recently. A healthy 38-year-old man lies down on the couch and dies. An autopsy... Should have been done. I thought they are always done. No. Not unless they think foul play and the doctor said it was a heart attack. But Stacy said she felt like if the doctors say it's a heart attack, then that's good enough for her. Mike's sister, Rosemary, was really skeptical. She said the color of his skin from his head to his chest was a deep, dark purple. It was just <gasps> really weird. She and the rest of Mike's family wanted the doctors to perform an autopsy, but Stacy, his wife, said no. And apparently her word is the only one that matters, which is crazy to me. Yeah. It's always the spouse. Yeah. <laughs> Why did they get to decide if there's an autopsy? I think whoever is named in the life insurance policy should not be able to make any decisions about medical. autopsies. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what I think. I totally agree. Like, can't we just pull that paperwork before we're, I don't know. Yeah. And Ashley blamed herself for his death for a long oh, time. She sure. said that it was her fault that he died. But she was 11, looking to the adults in her life for guidance. Her mom had been ignoring Mike's declining health for weeks. How would Ashley have known to take it seriously? I would have just assumed, oh, my mom knows better than me, you know, and she's not worried she and she's not doing anything and she's not getting him to the hospital. So she's literally an ambulance fine. dispatcher. I'm going to assume. Yeah. Stacy was 29 years old at this point. She's a widow who buried her husband quickly and wiped her hands of it all. Stacy got $55,000 from the life insurance policy, which she used to pay for funeral expenses and a trip to Disney World with the <gasps> girls. Yeah. But other than that trip to Disney, she became very distant towards Ashley and Brie. And a year later, she met David Castor. Oh. So detectives are learning all of this, and they are highly suspicious of Mike Wallace's sudden death at 38 years old. 
Spinelli started asking questions, and Stacy told him that Mike had all sorts of medical issues that had led to his heart attack. But the only thing Spinelli could find in Mike's medical records was a hernia. Nothing to show heart disease, nothing like that. Right. Spinelli was starting to wonder how much antifreeze poisoning could look like a heart attack without an autopsy. <gasps> but remember, those crystals in your organs caused yeah. by the antifreeze poisoning, oh. they never go away. Oh, pull, pull it up. Spinelli was certain that Mike Wallace's body was full of those crystals, and he wanted to exhume the body. Exhuming so a body- <laughs> Me too. Exhuming a body is very unusual and it can be really controversial. Not many judges will let you do it, especially if you don't have like really solid reasons for wanting to do it. Okay, but their plots are like, it's, <laughs> what's her name again? Stacy. Yeah, it's a Stacy sandwich. <laughs> the plots, sandwich. the plots are Stacy sandwich. And to me, I'm digging it back up. I've got. <laughs> I just need to know, you know, like I need, I need to know. <laughs> so detectives were able to convince the judge that David's death had been a homicide. Yeah, I'm sure, he Mike I'm sure he showed the judge the plots <laughs> and was like, what else do you need? And he's like, nothing. Proceed. <laughs> Dig him up. Yeah. They convinced the judge that David's death had been a homicide and that Mike Wallace had met the same fate as David. The judge signed off, allowing the detectives to exhume Mike Wallace, and they were all eager to see what would be revealed about how Mike died. Spinelli knew it would not come back as a heart attack. And he was right. The medical examiner called after performing the autopsy, and he said that Mike's body was loaded with crystals. He had definitely died from antifreeze poisoning. And detectives were certain that Stacy Castor had murdered both of her husbands. But he was sick for six weeks. Mm -hmm. How is that? But is off and on. Like, yeah. So she would like, like try and do it and, and it just wouldn't take? Was she like? Yeah. Maybe she was figuring out how much to give him or she could only give him a little. Like she was sneaking it a little bit at a time, hoping that it would just kill him over time to maybe he wouldn't notice. I'm never choosing that option. If it involves projectile vomit. <laughs> Russell got a stomach bug over Christmas break and I felt like the were we had just gotten engaged and it's like for better or worse oh, no. sickness and in health and it's two in the morning you and haven't laying, made that vow yet <laughs> I know and <laughs> let me tell you I'm concerned because it's like two in the morning he like went to bed he's like oh, I don't really feel good but I'm fine two in the morning he wakes up I'm like out of it he like runs to the bathroom and gets violent like capital V violently ill I've never heard anything like that and I just immediately was like, oh, Godspeed, and like went to the couch. And I was like, <laughs> you're on your own. Like, what? I, there's just nothing. And I'm the kind of person that when I'm sick, like, I don't want to be touched. I don't want you near me. Like, mm. I'll handle this on my own, whatever. Mm -hmm. And I just felt so bad. So I was like, yeah, you're on your own. So, like, I'm never going to choose the option that involves vomit. No. Like, agreed. Stacy, what are you doing? So detectives are thinking, like, it had worked the first time around with her first husband. She figured she'd just do the same thing all over again with her second husband. So Spinelli and another detective, Valerie Brogan, they go out to interview Stacy for the second time. But they didn't want to let her know what they knew. That's my favorite game. I love yeah. when they do that. They don't know that we know that they know that we know that they know. I know. 
And we know already. <laughs> she. So at this point, Stacy isn't even aware that they've dug up Mike's body yet. Like, or that he's been that autopsied. She doesn't know that they know. I know. Detectives had actually posted cameras at David and Mike's grave to see, like, how Stacy acted when she visited. And she never visited them one time. Well, obviously. Yeah. So they knew that she didn't know that Mike's grave had been disturbed. Oh, my God. Wait. What if she did go visit and she sees that? Could you imagine? Like, you just roll up. <laughs> it's just a big open. It's empty. <laughs> Would your first thought be zombie? Yeah, probably. Because I wouldn't have. I would never, like, you know, kill anybody. Think, so if right. I go to visit someone's grave and it's mm. dug up, like, yeah, that's my first thought. Thinking zombie or vampire. No, but if I think zombie, then you know my next move is to just stand there. (laughs) (laughs) Right. We're just standing there in the middle of the the street. That's it. So the detectives told Stacy that they just hadn't closed the investigation into David's death yet, and they just needed to ask her some questions so they could get on to closing it, you know? Has she already cashed out the life insurance on David? Can you do that while the investigation's? I'm not sure. I think so. Yeah. Because she got the money and, like, sold his business. Yeah, she's already renovated the house. She's, like, yeah. Got a Range Rover. She's, like, ready. (laughs) She didn't get that much money. (laughs) (laughs) Stacy seemed really nervous, and she was very surprised to see them there. She said it was like David was back from the grave. It was very clear that Stacy had assumed that they'd already ruled David's death a suicide and that that was that. So Stacy was brought to police headquarters and she was set up in an interrogation room. And now, because of my uh, Leo rising, I will act out a snippet of this interview (laughs) between Spinelli and Stacy. Are you ready? And my Taurus ass is ready. Stacy, there were two glasses there on the (laughs) nightstand. You said you poured some cranberry juice at one point, right? Yes. Diet cranberry. Here's a picture of the glasses. You remember which one you poured it in? Well, when I poured the antifree, oh, I mean the cranberry juice. No. Uh-huh. No. Nancy Grace said she actually had a Freudian slip. She said it all right there. I am yelling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> After that, Stacy said she was done. She wanted an attorney, and she stood up to walk out. Spinelli grabbed the picture that he'd showed her to put it back in the file folder he had, and as he opened the folder, Stacy got a glimpse of the top photo in the folder, which happened to be a photo of the turkey Mike. baster in the garbage. Like, she didn't know that they'd found that. She asked him why he had a picture of that turkey baster. It was sitting on the top of the garbage can, like on the top yeah, of the like, garbage in the garbage what do you can. Stacy, why wouldn't they have found that? Spinelli told her not to worry about it because the interview was over. Oh. <laughs> Stacy went home to Brie and Ashley and told them that the cops thought she killed David. Ashley could Stacey. not believe it. But detectives knew they were on the right track. They put a wiretap on Stacy's phone, and she made a lot of calls that week to friends and family where she sounded in distress, telling them, they think I did this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. She finally visited David and Mike's graves and saw that Mike's body had been exhumed. Oh, she was- Did they just leave it empty? Like, they just- It's just a big hole? Yeah, I think so. Maybe they put the dirt back in. I don't know. 
She was incredibly upset to see that, and she called a friend to tell them. She said she didn't believe for a second they found any evidence of antifreeze in Mike's body. Why would she even say that? Mm Mm-hmm. Ashley had just graduated from high school, and she was starting college. This is like September of 2005. Same girl, same. Your age. And you'll be able to relate to her on this next part as well, because investigators showed up to her college. Okay. (laughs) I think they made it even pulled her out of class. Well, welcome (laughs) to the very small sisterhood. Where did she go to school? Where is this even taking place? Oh, Syracuse. Yeah, she's at Syracuse. And she's like probably at Syracuse University because she was within like driving distance of her home. So like I think she might have even still lived at home, but I'm not 100% sure about that. Anyways, I think they might have even pulled her out of class to tell her that her father had not died from a heart attack, that he died from antifreeze poisoning, the same as her stepdad. Wow. I mean, how do you even take that news? Well, she was freaking out. She called her mom as soon as the detectives left and told her that they'd come to her school to tell her that Mike had been murdered. Stacy was so pissed. She could not believe that they would do that. When Ashley got home that night, Stacy told her, it's been such a rough week. Let's just get drunk. Oh, and Ashley, okay. who's 18 years old, is like, it's like yeah. cool, yeah. You know, she's a teenager. It's not legal. So it's always way more exciting. I don't condone underage drinking, children out there. Me either. Don't do it. It's not worth it. No. Stacy mixed up a drink in a 12-ounce plastic cup and gave it to Ashley. Is there antifreeze in that? Why would you say that is her daughter, Mogab? Oh, wait. That's ridiculous. Stop. For real? That's ridiculous, oh. Mogab. It's her daughter. Who would do that? Uh-uh. Keep talking. She drank it, Ashley, and pretty quickly became really lethargic. <gasps> The next thing she knew, she was waking up in her bedroom with a massive hangover. She went to school that day, and when she got home, Stacy said, let's do it again. (gasps) She said she didn't know if she'd be around for Ashley's 21st birthday, since she might be going to prison and all, so they should celebrate together. The drink she gave Ashley didn't taste good. Stacy said it was probably just the vodka, so she got a straw and told Ashley to put the straw in the back of her throat and just drink it as fast as she could so that she wouldn't taste the alcohol. So Ashley did. Bree woke up in the morning, the little sister Bree. She woke up in the morning and she went into Ashley's room to find her in her bed unresponsive, (gasps) but with her eyes wide open. Like she looked terrified, but she couldn't speak or move. Awful. Bree ran to wake up Stacy who came flying out of her room and into Ashley's, Stacy said she was just in complete shock and panicking. But Bree was demanding she get Ashley help, and Stacy finally called 911. On that call, she sounds distraught and hysterical. She told them that Ashley had consumed alcohol and prescription pills. I guess she saw, like, an empty pill bottle nearby, because how else would she have known that? I, like, don't understand how this woman thinks that, like, this isn't gonna... Like, cause a red flag or something. I, I Oh, uh, no. You're misunderstanding this whole situation. Don't worry. There is an explanation, and I will give it to you. And you'll be like, oh, wow. Okay, I get what really happened here. Yes. All right. While Stacy's on the phone with 911, Bree sees a piece of paper lying next to Ashley on the bed. She handed it to Stacy, who told the 911 operators, oh, here we go, that they just found Ashley's suicide note. She had typed it out. Her suicide note. Oh, typed. Yeah. 
Yeah, it was a typed suicide note. Detective Brogan was handed the letter as soon as she arrived to the Castor house. She read it quickly and discovered not only was this a suicide note, it was also a confession. It was 750 words addressed to Stacy. And the How entire. How many pages is that? 750 words. It, it, it was like, I mean, technically three pages, 250 words, but this was like one page with like small print. Okay. Like full margins. Addressed to Stacy. And the entire letter down to the signature was typewritten. Also, I read the letter. It's linked in our show notes. And something else I noticed about it is that there's not a single capital letter on the entire page except for the word I. She mentions several names. None are capitalized except for the name in the greeting, which is Mommy. It's it's addressed to Mommy. And the name in the signature, which is Ashley. Anyways, I just thought that was weird that like all the other names, everything else, Bree, Bree's name is in there a bunch, lowercase b, except for the letter I. Or the word I. It's weird. The letter is written to Stacy. Again, it's addressed to mommy. In it, Ashley confessed to killing her dad when she was 11 years old because he only ever loved Brie and he was mean to her and Stacy. She says Mm -hmm. she killed him with not only with antifreeze, but also rat poison. And she watched him die before leaving to go pick up Brie from school. Do you even know what antifreeze is at 11? Right. Yeah, right. I How do you get I it? didn't. You, yeah, I know, me either. She then confessed to killing David, her stepdad, because he was so mean to her and Bree and Stacy. She says she put the antifreeze in his glass with some soda. She did it again with some Gatorade and that's when he died while she was sleeping on the couch. She said she got the extra key because she'd known where it was hidden and she said she tried to get him to drink some of that booze with the dropper thing. Which just so happens to be like right after she'd seen that picture, Stacy had seen the picture with the turkey baster, yeah. so she knew like that they and had also, that evidence. This is a kid; she can't like overpower her dad and like put. A She's like sneaking it. Yeah, the letter was emphatic. It was me, mommy. No one else was supposed to know, but now they do, and they think you did it, but you didn't. It was me. She said she couldn't bear for her mom to get blamed, but she also didn't want to go to jail, and that's why she had killed herself. She asked for forgiveness and begged her mother not to hate her. (sighs) Yeah. I I can't process. Like, I know it was in your mind blown. Didn't you think it was Stacy this whole time? Then, whoa, it turns out it was Ashley this whole time. (laughs) Her daughter, who was 11 when her dad died. (laughs) Isn't that crazy? Whoa. I mean, (laughs) whoo. Ugh. Now, this is interesting. Did you notice earlier when I was giving my wonderful acting job of Spinelli's and did you notice that Stacey Castor called antifreeze antifree? Oh, no, I didn't notice that. Well, she did. In that interview, she said, when I poured the antifree, oh, I mean the cranberry juice. Throughout, I thought she like stopped herself. I I I did too. I thought it was like a stop. I did too at first, but throughout this letter, throughout this suicide confession letter written by Ashley, at least three times she refers repeatedly and only to antifreeze as antifree. Oh, like she doesn't know. Right. Like she doesn't know that it's actually called antifreeze. Ashley was taken to the hospital immediately. 
She was catatonic when she arrived and her vitals were plummeting. Doctors were afraid that she was going to die from the fatal amount of painkillers that were in her system. They said that if Ashley had come to them even 15 minutes later, she would already be dead. So there there were pills. Yeah. Painkillers found in her system. Yeah. How easy are those to smush up? Or sorry, we already have her confession. So yeah, we know exactly what happened here. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around stressors, big and small. For me, this comes in the form of work, too many deadlines, relationships with people, irrational fears of the future. When we keep them bottled up, it can really start to affect us negatively, mentally and physically. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. My therapist has really been helping me work on coping skills for how to handle my stress, how to handle day-to-day tasks that I struggle with, as well as working on communicating and improving personal relationships and just talking through problems with somebody who understands. It's something I wish I'd started ages ago. But finding a therapist is so overwhelming. Are they taking new patients? Are they taking insurance? And once you find one that says yes to both of those, are they a good fit? If not, you have to start the process all over again. If they are a good fit, you've got to figure out some way to fit appointments into your busy schedule. But BetterHelp takes away all of those barriers, and I'm so thankful. I love my therapist. I really feel like they took my questionnaire that I filled out when I signed up and really used it to match me to the perfect person. So if you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Creepers today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P, dot com slash Creepers. This episode is sponsored by Pros. Supporting our sponsors really helps support the show. A couple of years ago, I decided it was probably time I figure out some kind of skincare routine, but the problem was, and has always been, too many options. I don't know exactly what I need or what's best for me and my skin. So thus far, my solution has been to just buy a skincare line off the shelf and hope it helps. But that's all about to change when my custom skincare from Pros comes in. Each and every bottle of Pros custom hair and skincare is made to order and personalized with a unique blend of naturally powerful and proven effective ingredients to meet your needs. In fact, in a third-party, double-blind, dermatologist-supervised, controlled clinical study, aka the gold standard in research studies, PROS proved that personalization works better than off-the-shelf alternatives. Try it for yourself and get your healthiest hair in 30 days or get your money back. PROS is so confident that you'll love your results that they're offering our listeners an exclusive trial offer so that you can see the difference custom care can make. That's 50% off your first subscription order at pros.com slash creepers. That's P-R-O-S-E dot com slash creepers for your free consultation and 50% off your one-of-a-kind formulas. Pros.com slash creepers. Ashley was in the ICU for several hours before she started to come out of it. She said the last thing she remembered was getting tired after having that drink her mom made her. She went and laid down in her room and woke up in the hospital. As soon as Ashley was awake, detectives were in her room, hounding her with questions about the letter. How many pills did you take? Did you try to kill yourself? Did you write the letter? But Ashley had no idea what they were talking about. She didn't know what letter they were referring to. 
When they told her they were talking about the letter where she confessed to a double murder, Ashley told them she had not tried to kill herself, she hadn't taken any pills, and she hadn't written that letter. She said, I don't know what you're talking about. I was just having a drink with my mom. Oh my God. She told police that Stacy had made her a mixed drink of vodka, orange juice, and Sprite, and she remembered that it had tasted weird. But she trusted her mom. That is the saddest thing I've ever heard. Is that, I mean... I mean, like, for some reason, that, like, really hits me because at the end of all... I mean, yes, obviously, the deaths of the two men are very sad. But at the end of this, this girl is now coming back to mm-hmm. reality and now is registering that her mom tried to kill her and then and two her. deaths on her. Yes. Like, what? Two murders that she committed. Yes. If that wasn't already bad enough, then she was trying to commit a third and pin it on her, her own kid. Mm-hmm. That, ooh. But listening to the detective's questions and recounting the last thing she remembered, Ashley knew immediately what had happened. She said she was in such a state of disbelief, but not in a I refuse to believe this kind of way, in a how is this possible kind yeah, of way. Yeah, that's where I'm at. <laughs> yeah. She was just really overwhelmed by all of this information that she was hit with all at once. Luckily, the police had so much evidence against Stacy. They'd been building a case against her for two whole years at this point. That detectives believed that Ashley had not written the confession. They knew Stacy had been the one to write it. And it's like uh, something else I just thought of. If Ashley had written the confession, like she's really trying to get her mom off. Like that's why she wrote the letter and why she tried to kill herself was because she wanted to make sure her mom didn't go down for what she had done. Why would she type the letter? Wouldn't she handwrite it to make sure that detectives knew it was her? Why would she hand, why would she type it? Right. What year was the letter found? 2005, you said? No. Is that what year we started college? Yeah, 2005. They knew Stacy had been the one to write it, framing her own daughter when she felt like police were getting too close. It was beyond what anyone could have foreseen happening. Nancy Grace is back and. She said, Lay it on me, girl. I believe in the old adage there's nothing more powerful than a mother's love, except for Stacey Castor. She (laughs) would have walked scot free. (laughs) (laughs) Stacey came to the hospital and really wanted to see Ashley, but detectives kept her away by lying and saying that medical personnel weren't allowing anyone else in the room. I cannot believe she showed up. Yeah. And then she demanded to see Ashley, saying she was her daughter. She said she was so concerned about her. But they would not let her in the room. Detectives knew it was time now to put Stacy under arrest. She killed two people. She just tried to kill a third, her own daughter. Before this, the only brush with the law... Stacy Castor had was a speeding ticket she'd gotten when she was 18, and now everyone was referring to her as the Black Widow. <gasps> Black Widow, baby. She was arrested at the hospital and charged with one count of second-degree murder and one count of attempted murder. She wasn't charged with Mike Wallace's murder, and one article said that was because he'd been murdered in a different jurisdiction, which seems weird to me, but either way, she was only charged with David's murder. 
Stacy's mother, Ashley's grandmother, does not believe that Stacy had it in her to kill two people that she loved. Oh. And she absolutely does not believe that Stacy framed Ashley for the murders. Well, what does she think happened there? Yeah, that leaves one option. She believes her 11-year-old granddaughter killed her father on purpose, that she watched him die and purposefully did not get help before leaving to go pick up her sister from school. This and then, poor girl, you mean to tell me her mom tried to kill her and frame her and her own grandma also? Mm-hmm. Took the mom's side, yeah. We need to like get a, like what's the, op- like not a GoFundMe, but like a GoFamilyMe for this. <laughs> like she's <laughs> like a new. Me. She needs a new family. This Ashley, is awful. You're invited to Christmas dinner next year if you want. <laughs> I mean, I probably won't be there, but. Yeah. So she also <laughs> believes that five years later, Ashley did it again to her own stepfather. That's wild. That is wild to me. It's wild. And also, there's zero evidence of that. And and no motive. Like, it's not like Ashley gets the, well, that's ins- why, the life insurance. That's why Stacy is trying to say how, oh, Mike didn't really love Ashley. He liked Brie right. better and he connected with her better. And, oh, Ashley hated my relationship with David and... You know, she he would call her selfish and yada, yada. I mean, she's saying all this stuff to try to make it seem like Ashley's relationship with them was so bad that she would kill them with antifreeze when she's 11 years old. And there's no evidence. There's no evidence of this. Ashley wasn't even home when Mike Wallace died. The letter said that she watched him die on the couch. He was still alive when EMTs arrived at the house after Stacy called 911. He wasn't pronounced dead until he, they were on their way to the hospital. What does Ashley, Bree think about all this? Bree's on Ashley's side. Ashley was getting Bree from school when Mike died. There was also no evidence connecting her to David's murder. But Stacy's fingerprints were found on the glass. Well, and the turkey baster thing. She was all, like, concerned. Right. Yeah. But there no fingerprints on that either. So. Yeah. In an interview, Stacy, who adamantly proclaims her innocence and insists that it was Ashley all along, she says that she sees how it's easier to believe that it was her, Stacy, because she's the mother and she's 40. But she says kids kill all the time. All you have to do is turn on the news to see that that's true. Kids kill other kids and people all the time. So it's just totally reasonable that it was Ashley that killed her father when she was 11. Because that happens so often. Kids are just all over the place, killing their parents for liking their little sister more. Right. I'm not saying it's outside the realm of possibility. Kids have killed other people before. But well, what's more likely, though? <laughs> what's more likely? Yeah, give me a break, Stacy. Come on. When she killed David at 17, she was just that good that she didn't leave a single shred of evidence behind that it had been her. She knew to wipe the turkey baster and the antifreeze container. And the glass of her fingerprints, but leave David's DNA and Stacy's fingerprints. She was just that good. Well, and what's with the whole, like, let's get drunk and, you know. now Well, that's Ashley's story. That didn't happen, you know. Oh. That's just what Ashley's saying. Yeah. Apparently, Stacy had a boyfriend at this time when she's, like, being charged Mm. and going to jail. Yeah. And his name, his name's Michael Oshner. His name didn't even pop up until I was almost completely done with my research. And then I was looking at a lawsuit, I think, and he was like named in the lawsuit. And I was like, who's this guy? 
And then it was like, Stacy's boyfriend. And I was like, what? Men, back away. Ba- slowly. Back away slowly. After Don't Stacey's- make direct eye contact and back away. Yeah. It's like a basilisk. Don't make direct <laughs> eye contact. <laughs> so after Stacy's arrest, Michael, the boyfriend, he starts making trips to the caster house with a trailer and just like taking things out of the house. I guess like on Stacy's like orders. At one point, Ashley confronted him. She threatened him and they arrested her for harassment on a misdemeanor charge. What? Ashley's boyfriend's father was also arrested for a separate incident for making threats to this guy. Like, they were only in jail for a few hours before they were released, and I'm not totally sure what came of that, but it just sucks. Like, this, like your mom tried to kill you and frame you for murder, and then her boyfriend is coming and taking all your stuff out of your house, and then you're arrested for threatening yeah, him. Yeah, <laughs> like, get out. Stacy Castor hired a defense attorney named Chuck Keller to represent her. She would be his very first murder trial. Oh, because that's probably all she could get. Like, I mean, Maybe, people are just like, yeah. no, no, I'm not taking that on. Yeah, you're probably right. But he was a very competent attorney and very thorough. He went to work right away and never stopped defending Stacy, which was yeah. not an easy job. Oh. The DA, Fitzpatrick, said, she's a pretty rotten human being. I don't know why I'm making all these New Yorkers yeah. Southern, but... <laughs> <laughs> it's what I do best. We got one mode. <laughs> it's just the way it is around here. <laughs> one mode. You heard my New Yorker. It's <laughs> yeah. not great. <laughs> it's just the way it is around here. <laughs> he said she's a pretty rotten human being, and he wanted to make sure she was convicted. But all the defense needed to do was get reasonable doubt. They just needed to convince one juror to think that it was possible that Ashley had done this. So the defense attorney starts hunting Chuck Keller. He goes to the caster home and he finds several letters that were written by Ashley. He's hoping to compare like the style of writing, the way they spell certain words to try to prove that it was her that wrote the letter. Spoiler, they did not ever do that. But what they did find were letters written to one of Ashley's boyfriends after they'd broken up. And in the letter, she said, after my dad died, I started thinking about what would happen when I die. I started thinking about it. Hmm. The defense would use these letters to frame it that Ashley had been lying when she told detectives that she'd never thought about killing herself. Because she's saying right here in these letters that she is thinking about killing herself. No, that's not what that means. Like, it's very natural, I think, when you lose someone that you love to start thinking about what happens to you when that time comes. Not that you're trying to make that time come sooner. Yeah, I totally think they're twisting her words here. Yeah. Not to mention, these are letters written to an ex-boyfriend by a teenage girl after they'd broken up. The defense went with the narrative that Mike had always liked Bree better, and Ashley was jealous, so she'd killed him. Later, she didn't get along with David, so then she'd killed him. Maybe they just don't honestly get along with Stacy, and therefore don't. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> need to like or maybe stacy is with- like building this like hostile environment and like yeah. you know like planting seeds of like malice in them yeah it's probably hard to be close to your stepdad when he's like vomiting all the time also that was her real dad oh yeah that's sad. i know yeah. 
Every witness the defense talked to said that Ashley was capable of this and that it was possible that she had done this. Stacy's friends, the Coleman's, believed that Ashley was the bad guy in this situation because they said they could see how Ashley would flip her emotions. But poisoning your father over the course of six weeks in an attempt to kill him is not flipping your emotions, you buffoons. Also, she's a teenager. And she was 11 yeah. at the time when her dad died. Murdering your parents is very, very rare. It does happen, but it's rare. And the trick would be trying to get the jury to believe an 11-year-old would have done this. But again, all it takes is one juror to question it, and you've got a hung jury and a mistrial. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I just, it hasn't just dawned on me. I've been processing it this whole time, but it's mm-hmm. crazy that Stacy just said, oh yeah, Ashley did this and like made this fake letter. And now Ashley's like having to go on trial Mm -hmm. like get an attorney it's not like her mom's helping her get an attorney i mean like no she she doesn't have a defense attorney stacy is the one on trial for murder okay ashley the da is covering ashley yeah she's not charged with anything okay i was but she is having to like testify at this trial about her mom like attempting to kill i mean yeah while having no support from her family yeah, like, like her grandma thinking she did. I could not imagine. And that. has she like dropped out of college yet? Because I mean, surely, I, sh- surely you're not also like studying for finals. Stacy Caster's trial began in January of 2009, and this was such an unbelievable story. Nancy Grace was all over it. She said, "This is something very, very rare: a mother versus her own blood daughter." yes yes stacy said that evidence will show she is innocent but i'm not sure what evidence she's talking about apart from a typed poorly written suicide slash confession letter signed with ashley's name does ashley call it antifree or antifreeze i feel like that's all you would need to ask i think ashley knows it's antifreeze (laughs) then i mean case closed you know done yeah three cases were being presented here David's murder, the attempted murder of Ashley, and even though she wasn't charged with his murder, the prosecution was allowed to present evidence about Mike Wallace's death. Oh, good. There were as many as 160 witnesses at this trial, and the very first witness the DA called was Ashley Wallace. They started off establishing her as a tender-hearted teenage girl. They really needed the jury to like her and be on her side because the only defense against Stacy was that she was saying Ashley had done it all. Ashley at this point was 20 years old and she's on the stand recounting what it was like to see her father lying on the couch, dying before her eyes. She said she thought that he was sleeping. She talked about that day the detectives came to her school, how she'd come home and Stacy had said, let's just get totally drunk. They presented the narrative that this first time was just like a trial run to see how it went. And the next day, she put the crushed up pills in Ashley's drink. Or I'm assuming crushed up. I mean. Not just whole. <laughs> right. Ashley had told Stacy that the drink tasted awful. And Daisy just kept telling her to keep stirring the drink. And she just told her there must have just been too much vodka. Put the straw in the back of your mouth. Eat the fruit. Like, No. Eat the, but don't don't eat the fruit. Don't eat the fruit. 
Ashley cried on the stand when she talked about the moment that she woke up from the hospital and how the cops were there asking her all these questions about what she did and what she wrote in that letter. And she just kept saying she hadn't written the letter. Stacy, while Ashley is on the stand, Stacy has no reaction to this. If Stacy is to be believed, okay, so let's say Stacy's telling the truth here. This is her daughter who confessed to murdering her two husbands and is now backing out of that confession and saying that she, Stacy, tried to murder murder her. And Stacy is still showing no emotion to that. Like even if her story is true. The cross-examination of Ashley was so important to the defense. I mean, the most important thing for the defense is this cross-examination of Ashley. Right. They really needed to go after her, but they needed to do it in a way that didn't alienate the jury. Yeah, they Tell made her, feel like sorry for her. Right. You don't want you don't want them the jury to look at you like you're like, like attacking. attacking this girl, yeah. Keller, Stacy's attorney, he asked Ashley questions about how Bree was the favorite of their fathers, how Bree had a nickname from him and Ashley didn't. Ashley said she never really cared about that. They then tried to show how she didn't really like David, her stepdad. And finally, they tried to get the jury to believe that Ashley could have written that note. He told Ashley she'd written a suicide note before. So isn't it possible you wrote this one? Ashley said, I wrote a note to an ex-boyfriend. Keller tried to catch her in a lie, telling her that in the note to the ex, she'd said she'd made two attempts to kill herself. But she told police at the hospital that she'd never made any attempts. And again, this is like a letter to an ex-boyfriend that she's yeah. writing as a teenage girl. Like, you know, I don't know. But also, right, right. so what? Like, why wouldn't you lie about that? Why would you tell police the truth about that if, like, either way? Or you know? why would that even come to your mind? Like, I can't tell you how many letters to ex-boyfriends I've written. And I don't remember what they say. I'm sure there was some where I was like, I can't live without you. We've got to get back together. You know what I mean? Like, I'm 100%. laying in the hospital bed. I'm, I maybe just died and I'm getting asked about my two father figures deaths. And I'm supposed to remember that I wrote something to my boyfriend in seventh grade. Like, why would right. that even come to my mind? I think more the two the two attempts that she said that she made in this note. Yeah, but I, mean, I don't think you think about that. Like, I don't think yeah. you – because they well, weren't true attempts. Here is Nancy Gray summing up oh, this God. whole cross-examination. In his valiant defense of Stacey Castor, he questioned Ashley repeatedly about motive for murder. But Ashley was ready for him, and it all fell flat. <laughs> Uh, two other witnesses questioned were Lynn and Paul Pulaski, who had something very interesting to say. They said on the stand that after David Castor's death, Stacy came to them and convinced them to sign their names as witnesses on a backdated will for David, forging David's will that left everything to Stacy. Lynn said well, that at the time, she considered Stacy her very best friend, like a sister, and that at the time, David's death had been ruled a suicide. She said she thought she was helping her friend settle some of David's debts. The Pulaskis were given immunity from prosecution in exchange for their testimony, but later on, David Jr. sued them for their part in Stacy stealing the estate from him. I bet they really regret that. Like, I, I'm sure they didn't think they were doing anything wrong. I think they knew it was wrong, but I think they thought that they were really helping her out. Like she needed right, this like, money. Something had gone wrong with the will and 
You know, when right. it's your somebody you trust a lot, like I sorry, I would not do that. I'm not signing a backdated yeah. will. Like, don't nobody right. ask me to do that. In fact, I'd be <laughs> probably really pissed off that anybody would even ask me to Put do you that. In that position, yeah. But I could I could understand how a lesser soul <laughs> than I <laughs> would trust somebody like right. and and think that they're helping out and saying what's it really going to hurt if I just sign my name here. You know, I don't know. Yeah. Or I mean someone that doesn't know, there's a lot of people that wouldn't Maybe know. you don't notice. They don't even know what you're signing. The date and they're just like I just really need you to be like a witness to this thing. Can you just sign that? I mean, I would fall right. for that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm sure I would fall for like, hey, can you sign this? And then they Lord date knows it later. I wouldn't notice the date. I mean, <laughs> if the date's on there, like, what if she dated it? I, I mean, I don't know. Yeah, read what you sign, everybody. I do actually read everything that I sign, even all my leases. Leasing yeah. agents hate me because I just sit there and read. Oh, the whole I do lease. too. Lease is Good the one thing you. I go. I read mm-hmm. the whole thing. Mm-hmm. I'm like, can I highlight this? <laughs> yes. Stacy's boyfriend, sometimes in some articles referred to as her new fiance, oh. also testified, and he admitted to lying to a grand jury. It turned oh. out that he'd hidden pill bottles after Stacy asked him to. <gasps> okay. <laughs> How long did this trial last? It went on for several weeks with everyone watching and waiting to see if Stacy Castor would take the stand. Nancy Grace tells us, in high-profile cases, you don't see defendants taking the stand. Look at O.J. Simpson. Look at Scott Peterson. It didn't happen. (laughs) Still salty about Scott Peterson not speaking. Oh, yeah. It's easy to come across as a liar when you're being torpedoed with questions and experienced prosecutors are walking you into traps. Like, even if you are innocent, it's Mm -hmm. risky to take the stand. But Stacey Castor did take the stand. The defense wanted the jury to get to know her, to get to like her. And I think this was actually a smart move because in interviews, when you watch her talk, you just think there's no way that she's capable of doing this. Right. But it's a smokescreen. You got to look at the facts. The facts. So she talked about Michael Wallace first, how he was her first love, and then they got to the weekend that she tried to kill Ashley. She was so calm talking about the moment she found Ashley in her bedroom and called 911. She gave a really good performance of complete denial. But the problem with putting your client on the stand at their own trial is that the DA has a chance to cross-examine them. And the DA, Fitzpatrick, Pounced on her like a bulldog. I'm surprised they let her speak after her little slip up in the interrogation room. Like, I'd mm-hmm. be like, nope, your mouth is closed. Well, like, I don't think, I honestly, I don't think they had an option here. Yeah. Because of this particular case and the evidence, like, yeah. they needed the jury to hear it from her that she didn't do this. And she's right. really convincing when she speaks. Like, she really is convincing. I mean, she had me going back and forth until I was like, no, stop it. This is ridiculous. It's obvious. Oh, no. So Fitzpatrick is aggressive right from the start. He said that his strategy was to talk to her as if she were a murderer who tried to frame and kill her own daughter. Like, right off the bat, Just that's why I'm speaking to you. What happened? That's who you are. He just kept screaming at Stacy, <laughs> but she kept her cool. But by the end of it, it wasn't really clear if her, like, super calm demeanor 
made her look more or less guilty. Especially when you think of the manner of death as poison, something you have to have a little patience for. Takes a little Mm -hmm. while to kill with poison than it does with other means. That might be somebody that can keep their calm. Well, and isn't having like remorse like in the moment of like, oh no, what have I done? Like, this Mm -hmm. is a pattern behavior Mm -hmm. now. Mm -hmm. There was other evidence presented during the trial. They went into the forensic examination of the computer, of Stacy's computer. Oh, I was wondering if that was going to come up. They found two practice runs of the suicide confession letter that were written at times when Ashley was not in the house. They also presented a wiretap, and I thought this was kind of interesting. I don't think it really proves anything, but I do think it's interesting. They presented a wiretap of a phone call between Stacy and a friend, and it was taken at the time that one of those letters was being written. Like they could see the time mm-hmm. on the computer. And you can hear her clickety clacking on the keyboard. Like she's writing the letter while she's on the phone with her friend. Oh my gosh. Finally, after several weeks, both sides rested and the trial was over. The jury went to deliberate on the charges of murder in the second degree and attempted murder in the second degree. Now, I had to look into this because I didn't understand how this could be second degree murder. Usually the difference has to do with like intent or premeditation, Uh things like that. And it's very clear that this would be first degree murder in that case. Like Mm -hmm. obviously there was intent and premeditation. It's poisoning. Yeah. But to my very layman understanding of I'm not a lawyer, that's not how degrees of murder work in New York. Like I kind of had to do a lot of reading into this and I don't really understand everything I'm reading. You know why? Because we still don't have our on call. Lawyer slash law student. like Well, and the problem is there's different degrees. Like this changes from state to state. So it's like if you're not in New York, you're not going to know the answer to this question. But in New York, from what I could tell, the difference between first and second degree murder is not about like motive. It's about the type of victim. If the victim was a police officer, firefighter, or other peace officer, or if they were a witness to a crime or that sort of thing, then that is first degree murder. And there's not a difference from what I could see to the sentencing between first and second degree murder. They were both still up for like life without parole, same things. So anyway, it takes the jury four days to get back with a verdict, making everyone very nervous. This means it's likely that there's a holdout. And the longer it goes, the more likely the result is going to be a mistrial or even not guilty. Mm-hmm. The courtroom was packed when the jury came back on March 5th, 2009. Oh, my God. And I don't know that I've ever been so, like, anxious <laughs> as you tell me one. And for count number one, murder in the second degree. And I want you to picture. Ugh. Is this what people feel like when they're I want you to picture Ashley in the courtroom. She's huddled, eyes closed. Bree is, like, arm wrapped around her, like, arm. And they're like huddled together in the courtroom as this is being read. Okay. Because if Stacy gets off, is it assumed then that Ashley would then be tried? Do you know I don't think they would have I don't think I don't think the DA would have charged Ashley with the crime. Okay. No. Because I think they knew that Stacy did it and it would have just been yeah. the jury at that point, right. you know. And for count number one, murder in the second degree, they found Stacy Castor guilty. Oh, same yes. 
for attempted murder in the second degree. There's footage in the courtroom of Ashley and Bree the moment the verdicts are read. And Ashley just bursts into tears. Bree's arms just wrap around her. Ashley said it was the best day of her life because she knew that people knew she didn't do it. And Bree said they all knew Stacy was guilty. But she came pretty close to getting away with it. So they're happy. I mean, they want I mean, yeah. they don't feel any type of relationship with their mom. Okay. That's what I figured. But. I think that they are devastated at the yeah. loss of relationship with their mom, but they are happy that she was found guilty. Yeah. It's not like they yes. would have had a relationship after. Yeah. No. At sentencing a month later, Ashley was given the opportunity to speak to the court. She said she loved her mother, but she hated her, and it was all very confusing to her. She said Stacy used to be her best friend and she'd taken that all away. She said, quote, as horrible as this will feel, this is goodbye, mom. Mm-hmm. Stacy was given the maximum sentence of 25 years for both charges with another year for forging David's will. So 51 years total. I feel like it should be more than that. I agree. In prison, Stacy got tattoos of both of her husbands on her shoulders. And she what? says she worries about if her daughters are okay, like if they're safe and what they're doing. If they're safe. Yeah. The most dangerous they've most danger they've ever been in is when is you've tried by you. to poison yeah. them. She said she will maintain her innocence until the day she dies. Hmm. Neither Ashley nor Bree had anything to do with their mother after she was arrested. But this wasn't the end for investigations into Stacy Castor. Oh. In 2010, the district attorney found another mysterious death in Stacy Castor's past. Stop it. And that was her father. His name was Jerry Daniels, and he died in February of 2002. So it was like in between Mike and David's murders. Mm-hmm. He'd been in the hospital to be treated for issues with his lungs. And his condition had been steadily improving until he was actually well enough to be released from the hospital. On the day of his release, Stacy came to visit him in the hospital, and a witness said she brought with her into the room an open can of soda, and he died the very next day. At Stacy's request, his remains were cremated, and his estate and wealth were all passed to her. There had been an initial autopsy done that found his death to be natural, but the DA said they wanted to investigate the accuracy of that report. But because the body was cremated, it was basically impossible to find an alternate cause of death. And then the investigation came to an end in 2016 when Stacey Castor died in prison of a heart attack at the age of 48. Did she drink antifreeze herself? I wondered that. I kind of wondered... I mean, a heart attack at 48, especially as a woman, is – I didn't look the stats up on that, but I would assume that's pretty rare for a Mm -hmm. 48-year-old, like, healthy woman, you know, to have a heart attack. I mean, healthy from what I could see. You can't really, you know, know a person's health. But Ashley Wallace moved on with her life. She got into therapy to deal with everything that happened to her. And as of February 2020 – She was living in New York, engaged to be married, and focused on moving forward. And that is that crazy story. (laughs) That was crazy. (laughs) I I don't know. I feel a lot of things. I know. I know. That's the one that you texted me about. I was hoping you would have forgotten, and it seems like you did forget. 
Because you were Um, like, I need you to take me off of this notes because I have like a note where I keep all of my ideas, like the list going or like when people send me recommendations, like add it to this list. And you were on it for like reasons I don't know why. I guess because I I thought it like in the beginning that you could, if you heard of something that you wanted to hear about, like you could add it to the list. And you, you had added a few things. But you're like, you need to take me off this list because I just read that we're you're going to do a case where a woman kills her two husbands and then frames her daughter. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I forgot all about that. I was like, I was, dang. Because I was currently working on that case and I was like, yeah. she's going to forget this in a week. <laughs> oh, I totally forgot about that. Because I get a notification when you made an edit in the note and I was trying to clear mm. the notification and I clicked on it and it yeah. brought me in to where you were editing and I was like, what? No. <laughs> oh, I forgot about that. Yeah. Uh, I did want to surprise you. My goal today was to be like, guess what we're starting the new year off with? And you were going to be like, what? And I was going to be like, our P.O. box. But I had to go get COVID tested today, so I didn't have time to leave the post office. But that's on my list. Um, I have like the little flyer and stuff. I'm going to go take care of that. That'll be fun. Mm -hmm. I know. I want to pick the number, but then I was like, really? Who am I kidding? I need it to be eye level. I'm not trying to bend down real low, you know, the bottom. For sure. sure. Yeah. (laughs) But if 1029, I would do it for that. It's not like I have to check it every single day, you know, so. (laughs) But I was like, ooh, I can't be bent. They get real low. I was like, yeah. Trying to like, you know, on all fours checking mail. I don't want a bottom locker. No thanks. (laughs) Bottom locker, yeah. Shout out time. Shout out time. Shout out time. People don't know that that's us singing in that jingle. <laughs> well, because it was like us singing that then has been like remastered into. Well, it was auto tuned. Well, yes. Obviously. <laughs> obviously. Player clip. Shout out time. 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 It's time. That's us singing, everybody. <laughs> that, that wasn't aware. Time for shouts. Who's getting the shout out? Sophie. Sophie B is. Sophie, Sophie B. B. Oh. Sophie B. Thank you so much. Sophie B. Like the Lady Gaga song. Oh. Ale Alejandra. Ale Alejandra. Alejandra. Isn't that how it went? Yeah. Ale Alejandra. Ale Alejandra. Muller. Thanks for your phonetic pronunciation. That was fun. And also thanks for being a patron. I appreciate this phonetic pronunciation because I think this is a beautiful name. Bronte Sabita. Major major shouts to you. Is that beautiful? I love it. I love it. No, me too. Also, do you know who else I love? Denise K. Thanks, Denise K. Denise. Denise. I feel like that's nice. D nice. D nice. D nice. She gave us a lot. Yeah, is that annoying? You know, <laughs> you know, my favorite part is, is that we huh. ask people for the phonetic spelling and huh. then we choose to do what we want. Like, <laughs> we know that that's Denise K and we said it right and then chose to butcher it anyways. <laughs> we chose to Before reference a hilarious sketch comedy. Yes. Yeah. And last but not least, Betsy. Reynolds, as in Ryan. I, Betsy, I hope it is as in Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> is it as in Ryan Reynolds? Is that Blake? If it is, if it is as in Ryan Reynolds, as if you are related in some way, let us know. Yeah, I guess it's right. I mean, Kristen basically is neighbors with Kim Kardashian, so yeah, exactly. 
They're my our peep of the week. <laughs> peep of the week, Kim Kardashian is my aunt's neighbor. So. Yeah. Well, we've come full circle around. Those here. six degrees Truly. of separation are getting a lot closer. <laughs> yeah. Really come. Really come full circle. Okay. Oh my gosh. That's the end of our shout outs. If you didn't hear your shout out and you're new here, we will be shouting you out in a future episode. We're just doing a few a week. So thank you, everybody, for listening to this episode. We appreciate all of you so much. Love all of you. Thanks for sticking around. We truly, even, when we, even when we wanted to take a break, you know, needed a little yeah. break over the holidays. We need it. But, but lucky you guys. Now we're back. We're fresh. Now we're back. This. Fresh. Better than ever. Hopefully. Yeah. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Still working on my Nancy. <laughs> well, according to our ratings and reviews, we are back better than ever. We are so close. We're at 369. We're like really, we're, we're chugging along. Still oh. 400 coming up. You can follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, at Creepers Pod. We've got an awesome Facebook discussion group that I encourage you all to join. It's pretty fun in there. We've got Fast and the Furious memes. We've got Waffle House TikToks. <laughs> we got lots of good stuff happening in there. Did you see the yeah. Fast and the Furious meme today? I died, yes. Uh, Vin Diesel, he eats he two eats meals a day. Two Breck breakfast. And Breck Furious. <laughs> I died. I like actually squawked. I was like walking up the stairs and I read it. I was like, ah! <laughs> Bye, peeps and creeps.